Hello, Managing Madrid listeners. This is your host, Kian Sobani. It is Thursday, and today's episode is with Ewan McTeer, who writes for Managing Madrid. He lives in Madrid, attends a lot of stuff for us as press, attends a lot of games at the Bernabeu, uh, has attended all the player presentations this summer, and uh, we chatted mainly about Real Madrid's roster construction and what they have left to do to trim the roster down before the season starts. Uh, and also what it was like sitting through that Militao uh, press conference yesterday and, uh, and and what happened with him. Um, so we, we discussed all that stuff and more. Uh, before we get underway, a couple of housekeeping things. If you're in New York or anywhere close to it, make sure to come see us for our live podcast. Uh, we're doing a live podcast in Manhattan. Gabe Lesra and I will be on stage at the Playwright Irish Pub. You can buy tickets now. They're $10.00. And uh, we'll link it in the show notes so you can click on it directly and purchase tickets uh, and come see us. Really, it is like this is the first time we've, Gabe and I have um, I've done a podcast in person. So we'll likely both be at the game against Atleti two days prior. We'll do a post-game show from the stadium. And then two days later on Sunday the 28th, 7 p.m., we'll be live on stage, Playwright Irish Pub. Come meet us. Come have some drinks. Uh, we'll, we'll, chat, we'll chat football. Uh, answer some questions and it's going to be a lot of fun so make sure to come out um if you're not a patreon if you're not a patron yet go over to patreon.com slash managing madrid uh you get access to a bunch of bonus shows including tomorrow's as in friday's um historical segment where matt wilty and i will discuss real madrid's victory over bayern munich in the champions league in 2004 so we're going to take it back a little bit we're going to watch that game in the morning and then record a a podcast about it later later in the afternoon and uh, release it other things you'll get bonus access to once the season start is our loan tracker podcast where we review all of Real Madrid's players on loan every single week and review their weekend um, you'll also get access to certain post-game shows especially midweek Champions League games and Copa del Rey games and uh, and get other rewards like guaranteed responses to your questions and whatnot uh, one more thing before we get underway, want to give a shout out to all of our patrons, but specifically these $10 plus patrons who get a shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Stavronakis, Adam Dorsey, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Sergio Monleon, Elian Zacco. Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Sheikh Hatiri, Oluwapamimo, Oladunjoy, Patrick Odayafadi, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brennan Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bosancic, Sway Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yehin Liang, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brennan Powers, Rovi Tariev, Emil Shabal Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, and Solomon Ortiz. That was officially the longest list I've ever read. You guys are all freaking amazing. Thank you so much for the, your support. Seriously, from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much means a lot that you're taking this journey with us. And without further ado, here is the Managing Major Podcast with myself and Ewan McTeer. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Hello and welcome to the Managing Widget Podcast. It is Thursday. Um, it's a long overdue episode. We haven't recorded one since Friday, uh, but we had a few time, few days to uh, kind of just bask in a bunch of slow news days, really, that kind of went one right after another, which was nice and a nice change of pace to what Real Madrid, covering Real Madrid is usually like. Uh, we had Militao's presentation yesterday. And joining me to talk about Real Madrid and someone who's actually attended all of the Real Madrid presentations on behalf of Managing Madrid 
is the great Ewan McTeer. Ewan, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Yeah, it might have been quiet in Real Madrid world, but uh, Atletico and Barcelona world, I think I think the guys covering those are still going. It might have been the, the busiest week of the season for those guys, but yeah, like you say, Real Madrid being quite quiet this week. Atletico, Barca, PSG. I think those those three are probably the ones with the with the, the transfer triangle. Yeah. yeah, the transfer triangle of of doom with a lot of drama, um, a lot of missed training sessions, and a lot of uh, not let's say like not the most uh, the best relationships between those three, uh, and Barca having it the worst really with both of them. I think uh, a lot of pettiness from from all three teams. I'd say I it was actually kind of nice for Madridista to go through that new cycle of nothing really to cover from a Real Madrid perspective. But just seeing your rivals go at it, and uh, and I had a chance to also write about Atleti yesterday and talk a lot about them on the Trusi Tacticus podcast, which was kind of fun because I know you are an Atleti fan, and Diego and I spoke about this yesterday. I wrote I wrote about it, but I think honestly, um, the position that Atleti are in now compared to that of two months ago when Griezmann made that video that he was leaving, night mm. and day, they're in such a better position now. No, for sure. I mean, whether they're better or not than they were at the start of last season, I don't know. But yeah, when Griezmann made that video, you already knew Godin was going, Juan France going. It kind of seemed like it might be the end for Atletico. But they've they've gone out there, signed some interesting pieces pre-season, gone back to their usual training base. There's like a hill that they love just outside Madrid. They go there, find a little hotel and basically run up and down the hill. They didn't really do that last year. They're doing it this year. Everything seems to be... Um, better for Atletico and we'll see how it all comes together but yeah exciting times for them and yeah as we said they're they're involved in all the transfer stories the the arrivals and the departures at the moment what was it like being at the Militao press conference slash presentation yesterday so I just to give the context of of what what kind of how I found out about it because you know if I'm being really transparent I don't watch these presentations really um but I, I always read the quotes you post afterwards and really a presentation really only comes across my feed if it's, uh, you know, something like a player failing to juggle a ball or something, which is, is mm. not very common. Uh, but this one, I noticed you had to put a tweet yesterday that said, you know, this is kind of a bizarre like setting and Militao is really mm. uncomfortable. And then you replied to that tweet with the video which I watched, and I just felt I felt really bad for him. And I wasn't sure at the moment I watched it whether it was physiological, whether it was psychological. There was emotion. There was the, the literal temperature of the city. And maybe I, I wasn't there. You were there. Was the AC in the room kind of out of whack? Like, what, what was happening? What was, what was it like being there? Yeah, well, it was kind of weird from the start, even before that. So this was with the last question um when he kind of asked to just leave and funnily enough the last question was would you like to play with Neymar I don't know right. if, if if that had something to do with it but no he was already starting to feel a bit bad before that was that was asked but even before he started you know pulling at his tie and uh, looking around trying to get some water which Arbeloa thankfully was on hand to provide always there you know um it was yeah. just kind of strange he, the way he answered questions was was as if he'd never done a press conference before. And I suppose he hardly has done any press conferences before. He's 21. Mm. He was never, you know, the star, you know, at Porto. He was never the star at Brazil. He's always had bigger players, more experienced players around him to do these kind of things. And he's just, you always get these press conferences where the players never really answer the question. That's expected. But he sort of replied with vague answers, but vague answers that weren't even vague answers in response to that question. For example, he was asked about how he was going to fit in with the other centre-backs because Real Madrid already have four centre-backs on the squad. And he started talking about, I'm you know, a very competitive guy, uh, uh, I'll do what I'm told, uh, I always want to win. And these were all just vague answers, but not the kind of vague answers that actually had anything to do with the question. So it was just kind of strange throughout. He spoke very quietly, very timidly. And then the last couple of minutes, he really started, as you'll have seen if you've seen the video, uh, you know, pulling at his tie, looking for water, just his hands in his face. There was a point where he started almost giggling and it was just very strange. And then he kind of looked towards the press officer and kind of looking for some support, like, can I just go? And, And in the end, that's what happened. It was... It was a strange feeling that it wasn't like you, had, you mentioned there about the room. There was nothing, nothing weird about the room. It's actually been a bit cooler in Madrid the past few days compared to last week. Um, but I guess he has just flown in, jetted in from Brazil, 
they just won the Cup America. Who knows? Maybe maybe there's a bit of a hangover under underneath all of this. Mm. I'm sure it's been a bit of a whirlwind week from traveling across the world and having probably the biggest day of his life. So yeah, and he's only 21. It was just I think a culmination of a lot of things, but. It's just not a good look, and I've seen a lot of responses to it. I'm sure you've seen them as well, and some people, you know, jump into conclusions. Ah, he's not got the the mental toughness for playing at Real Madrid. I don't think that's that's fair at all. But it was just it was one of the stranger press conferences that um, I've certainly seen. Well, if if people came away from that watching that to like making conclusions like that, I, I kind of that's just silly to me. I you know like. I really hope when I was watching, I th- I hoped it was all psychological or nerves or like something to do with like an exterior factor, like the heat. Maybe he was lack of water. Ask reported that it was down to a long trip, a long travel, and his nerves and not enough food intake. Which uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess. I mean, this the way he was he was kind of displaying it seemed a bit more extreme than what was explained, but. I I hoped it was nerves because like if if people are coming away with it thinking oh he doesn't have the right mentality for it first of all public speaking and being in front of speaking in front of that much that many people is a lot different than performing on a football fit pitch they're completely two different things um, some of the greatest musicians uh, have trouble um, speaking in front of public but are masters at performing because they get into their groove it's their art it's their craft mm. um, but one thing I would say though mm. is of all the positions in a football team where you sort of expect a player to speak confidently, speak assertively, it's probably centre-back, centre-back and goalkeeper. You often get, I think, timid and shy wingers that don't really say much, but it doesn't really matter because they're out in the wing, you get the ball to them, they do a wee bit of something and pass it in and we move on. But centre-backs have to be calling out for the ball, calling out to the full-backs who has to be in position. Centre-backs are the ones who have to be shouting. And this this isn't so much about the fact that he got dizzy, but I'm just thinking the way he was speaking even before he said he wasn't feeling well, it's just very, very timid throughout. And he just didn't come across like a centre-back. You think of the other centre-backs at Real Madrid, Ramos, he's probably one of the best speakers um, in all of football, sometimes speaks a bit too confidently. Even Jesus Vallejo, he's been captain of the under-21s, all the press conferences he's done is fantastic. Every time he does an interview, <laughs> he's so confident. Yeah, There's a good. clip I saw recently where he says <laughs> thank you every single time when he yeah, starts I an interview, even, even if it's uh, a criticism. He's, he's such a good speaker, Nacho as well. I don't know, centre-back just seems to me like one of the positions where, yeah, you do kind of have to be confident and assertive. And it was strange that he wasn't. He spoke in Portuguese, which is absolutely fine. But even in Portuguese, he just came across as very, very timid. And I'd be interested to watch some of his other press conferences from the past, maybe before a Porto Champions League game, to see if this was just a one-off or not. But I totally get what you mean. Like People can perform on the pitch, perform as a musician without being a great public speaker. But centre-back, it's a slightly bit, it's a little bit different because you do have to be assertive. So let's keep our eye on it. I mean, centre-backs, you're right. Like if you if you think about like kind of the, the stereotypical centre-back, they're very vocal. They're, they have that fearless kind of aura about them and they're generally kind of leaders by nature. I mean, we'll see. I Militao is a player that I watched a lot of film on just to do a scouting report. I, I, I didn't watch him live much. Um but he, you know, he seems to be fine on the pitch. <laughs> but, but we'll yeah. see. I mean, this might be one of those things that he might just get better at. It might might be a one-off. I mean, we'll see when we get more of a sample size. Um, how great would it be? And now that I saw him do it, probably subconsciously, in all likelihood, ninety-nine percent subconsciously and not intentionally. But mm. if if someone just asked a silly question like that, the name Arthing at the end, what a great response! <laughs> is just to start loosening up the your your shirt a bit your tie asking for water holding your head and be like i have to go it's just great great way great yeah. exit this and, this and no Neymar, pressure to answer the question this Neymar transfer saga i think is making us all a little bit ill so uh, i'm totally with him on that one is there any anything else to report from the five now presentations you've been at and everything else is pretty routine or yeah that's everybody um now being presented all the ones that we knew we're coming either before the summer, or the first days of the summer, and um, yeah, Hazard was the big one. It was the one 
um, you know, in the main balcony with the whole stadium full, and uh, that was a that was a proper galactical kind of moment. This was a Real Madrid going out, getting one of the best players in the world, spending a three-digit million sum, and bringing somebody in there and showing them off. The other ones have been a little bit more key, and probably because all of them are very young players. You know, Mendy, Rodrigo, Militao, and Jovic, all of them very young players, players for the future, and and players who, to be honest, don't have a fantastic highlight reel to show off, don't have all the impressive CV and trophies, because basically Real Madrid's policy these days is to get the best young talent and hope that they develop into Galacticos when you've already paid a smaller fee for them. So some of them have been a little bit more low-key. The Hazard one was a big one. Hazard spoke very confidently in his press conference. He was uh, making jokes, cracking jokes. Um, he was he was good entertainment. Uh, Jovic is an absolute uh, wall. He's an absolute madman. I, th- mm. I wouldn't... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think he has the same emotion if... You know, it's um, you know, his wedding day, or if he's making breakfast. I think this guy just is an absolute brick wall. But I like people hey, like that. I don't know. It's I some, think, there's something that I've always been gravitated be towards. People like that. I don't know why. It, it just seems so cool to me. Yeah, I, I just can't wait to see how he gets on this season, and then also how his first action movie gets on in the cinema. <laughs> because it's got to happen. Um. So, I you know, I think today we're gonna answer some questions from patrons so um there there are four that i've circled that i want to discuss with you that i think will take us into much broader discussion discussions by nature because they're kind of loaded questions and they're not really yes or no questions and rarely are questions ever that on this podcast but well i think we'll go we'll go we'll go decently deep into these four questions so patreon.com slash manage madrid is where you go to pledge and get guaranteed responses to your questions First question is from patron Bernard Kufour. He says, I know Real Madrid is currently full up with many left-wingers and going after Neymar will be beyond the pale. Nevertheless, I can't discount the dangers Neymar brings against any opposition. We can't be oblivious about the terror Barcelona gave us when he was playing for them. Don't you guys think allowing Barcelona to get him again will be a mistake on our part? I know Neymar has many baggages accompanying him, but I just don't want to see Neymar back to Barcelona and about to terrorize our defense again. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I always find it interesting the sort of let's sign him so that other guys can't sign him. There was a bit of that with Danny Ceballos. There was a bit of that with Andre Gomez, and it hasn't always worked out, to be fair. I think uh, your it's principal never a good motivation idea, in my opinion. has to be... Yeah, your principal motivation has to be we want this guy. Um, but when it's two teams going at it in the same league, um, in the same Champions League, it is something I think you have to consider. But in this case, with the amount of money you would have to pay for Neymar, with the amount of, you know, as um, as uh, Bernard said, with the amount of left-wingers already at Real Madrid, you just can't go and, and sign Neymar based mostly on that. And I don't think... I don't think Real Madrid will. If, if Neymar is available to Barcelona, as the reports say, then it probably means he's also available to Real Madrid. And there's been no noise about that at all, because I think if there's one PSG player they want, it's Mbappe. And right now they've got their uh, left-sided superstar in Hazard. And they've already got Vinicius, um, you know, Asensio, Rodrigo, I think, it prefers the left wing as well. Um, Brahim is probably another one. Uh, so yeah and all these guys can play both sides even Gareth Bale likes the left wing sometimes so there's just yeah there's just no room for another another superstar that's my opinion well not only would he be available to Real Madrid as you mentioned but PSG would gladly sell him to Real Madrid before they would sell him back to Barcelona given the tensions between those two clubs right now Mm. Um, you know I so I think and we're going to get much deeper into this in some some future questions but the thing with Neymar, and, and it's interesting, I had an interesting discussion about this with Andres Cordero being a few weeks ago on the podcast. Just the debate about how, how much does character matter when you're building your team? And how much baggage is too much baggage? And at what point does it really matter? So the question here is essentially, and, and it's up for debate, some of it is subjective, some of it is like, you know, hearsay, because as much as we see, you know, what we see, some of the stuff behind the scenes we don't see. And I'm just not sure as much as Neymar can annoy people. (laughs) 
I really don't think a team like Barcelona, for example, would look at him and be like, this guy's going to cause trouble. The reason I say that is because he's such good friends with Messi and Piquet and Suarez mm. and Busquets and Rakitic and these guys. And I just and he has a proven track record at that club where and if you remember, like, you know, he doesn't really have that choking European DNA mentality. And against PSG, he was really the one that picked the team up when they all thought it was over. Um, and so, like, the guy has a proven track record as a winning mentality. Um, and so the only thing, I, and I've mentioned this to Diego, I think the only thing that would really concern me more so than his quote-unquote character is his health. Because mm-hmm. like Bernard says in this question, if he's healthy, really he is, Bernard used the word um, terror that that he gave us with Barcelona. I agree, he was ter- he was terrifying. And I, and I would take this, extend this to when Real Madrid played against PSG in the Bernabeu when I was there. You could sense any time he had the ball running at Real Madrid in transition, it, the whole stadium was so uncomfortable dealing with that because he was ripping through. And we all point to like the turning point in that tie was when Zidane made those two subs in that second half and you brought on Lucas Vasquez, Asensio Bale came on. Neymar also got injured and that changed everything. They were completely defanged when he left. He missed the second leg. So if he's healthy, which is the biggest concern I have more so than character, you know, that would concern me. And, uh, you know, if you get that healthy version of Neymar and you had a guarantee that you would get that version, which you don't, I would I would sign him quickly. And I still think that version of Neymar is better than Mbappe. The, the, the trump card for Mbappe really is his age and his health, more so than what he's done on the pitch, I think. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to agree with that. I think the, the injury issues, you know, the same injury twice, ruling them out at the same time of year, that's... That's got to be a concern. And I think you're right, even the, the character issues, you think of most of the things that um, people find annoying about Neymar. I mean, let's put to one side the, the issues in Brazil with that Brazilian model, um, because that's mm. not all been sorted yet, and that is very different. But most of the other things that could be seen as annoying from Neymar are pretty much the same kind of things Luis Suarez does. He's a bit hot-headed, can get sent off every now and then, can get silly yellow cards. Um, you know, he does things that winds up opponents, a little bit of diving, a little bit of showing off. These are things that actually aren't that bad when you think about it. So many players are doing these kind of things. And the going home every year for his sister's birthday, that is a little bit uh, annoying. But hey, as long as there's not a classical that weekend, you're probably fine. Yeah. Uh, so most of what Neymar does isn't actually that bad. The problem is that it all builds up and you then have maybe 10, 12, 13, 14 incidents over a two-year span and you start to think, wow, this guy's trouble. But each individual incident probably isn't that bad, uh, generally speaking. So mm-hmm. it's not so much the behaviour. There are far far worse footballers in terms of their behaviour on the pitch and and certainly off it as well. Uh, Neymar's problem, as you say right now, is that can you guarantee he'll be around for the Champions League knockouts? Because mm. he hasn't been for the past two years for PSG. And if you're going to spend that much money on one player you need that guy to, to be available. And that's why when you have Antoine Griezmann there at the same time, but half the price, almost never misses a match, that's the guy you have to go for, first of all. And I think Barcelona will go for him, first of all. And then if you go for Neymar additionally, okay, that's another question. Completely agree about some of the antics stuff. Like I think it's with someone like Suarez, that the very cliche, and I hate using these cliche phrases, but one of those players that you would love to have on your team would hate to play against. You know, we've had those in Real Madrid in the past with Pepe. Uh, we have one with Ramos that, you know, to this day, Liverpool fans still can't stand the sight of him, but guarantee you they would all love to have him in their team because he's just phenomenal defender. And some of his dark arts really are just probably overblown also, like with that shoulder challenge with Salah. Anyways, I'm getting off track, but the point is, some of these things like that Suarez and Neymar do, they're annoying, like you said, but they're also just, you know, unfortunately the game is riddled with trash talk. It's, it's riddled with dark arts. It's riddled with just trying to take advantage of your opponent and and kind of hoodwinking the referee into to thinking something happened that didn't. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting. Like you mentioned Griezmann, which seems like that deal will get done despite all the drama that surrounds it. Neymar, I'm, I'm less skept- I'm less sure about. Um, 
I think the P, the relationship with PSG is pretty bad, but I also am not sure Barcelona will pay what's needed. Is is what I would be guessing. And if someone like Real Madrid doesn't jump in, that kind of complicates things for PSG also, though, because if they if they are at a point of no return where they just can't hold on to him, they don't think like the season starts and Neymar comes back, score goals, it puts everything away. If that scenario is not in play for them, then they're kind of their hand will be tied, twisted. Either they will have to sell cheaper to Real Madrid, which again, Florentino at this stage is he still interested or is he or is he over it because he has his guy in Hazard now and a bunch of young assets to go with it, or or will they consider kind of lowering the price and getting letting Real Madrid get involved? That you know, those are all questions I would have. Um. Next patron question. Patrick Odayafori says, It looks like Zidane has one target left in the summer transfer window, which is obviously Paul Pogba. Assuming he gets his man, what formation do you think Zidane is likely to start with in the first game of the season versus Celta? Who, uh, what's your predicted starting 11? Who makes the bench? Our team is so deep. I'm curious to see who's on the outside looking in, especially when Casemiro and Valverde come back. Thanks and keep up the great content. Yeah, Pogba is an, an interesting one, um, and another guy, funnily enough, who is often brought up saying he has so many antics. When actually, when you look at each individual thing, it's it's nothing. Pogba would be an interesting one, and I, I totally agree. I think in terms of potential other arrivals for Real Madrid, it's is probably Pogba, or if not Pogba, maybe someone like him if they don't get him. But that's probably the only other position right now where. I can see them going for somebody and trying yeah. to bring in another player. So it's going to be interesting. If he does come in, I think that really could change up the formation from the 4 3 3 that has become so common because Pogba is the kind of player that can play in so many different midfield roles that you have a bit more flexibility with a guy like him who can cover all over the midfield. If he doesn't come, I would it would surprise me if the formation isn't you know, a 4-3-3 with Casemiro, Modric and Cruz in the middle and then poof, some sort of mixture up front of all the, the strikers and forwards. Yeah, I. so the, the question is interesting because because of how deep it is, like Patrick says, and there's a curiosity that kind of you get peaked. You get, you, your, your interest gets really peaked with this because I think there are so many players and a lot of them very versatile and can play multiple positions. And a lot of players, which I think in the past would have been indispensable in Zidane's side, which you're unsure of now. I tried to, when I was thinking of how to answer this, I tried to work my way backwards. With like Usually when I'm making a lineup, I'd go from goalkeeper, hmm. defense, midfield, striker, whoever. This way I kind of worked backwards in the sense that I just put the names that I think Zidane wouldn't drop and and kind hmm. of filled in the rest. So... I think the undroppables would be Benzema, Hazard, uh, Ramos, Varan. That's four. If Pogba comes, that's five. And then I filled it in with other players. So I think I think you would have something. You like, don't think uh, you don't think Carvajal as an undroppable. Sorry, Carvajal definitely yeah. Carvajal, Carvajal at six. Um, and depending on what you think, probably Modric and Kroos are indispensable too. Mm. But I'm less sure of that now than I was a year ago. Mm. Courtois, Varane, Ramos, Carvajal, Mendy, which if it's, to me, Mendy is a much more interesting starting left back at the point of the career of both of theirs right now, given Marcelo's season last season. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that my hunch about Mendy starting is probably actually wrong, and Zidane, this might be a year that Marcelo bounces back. Um. And also, maybe Zidane looks at this and says, if I bench Marcelo right away, will that zap his confidence? Maybe from the start, we treat this as like Marcelo's back. Um, from game one, he's there. This is He's back to his best. He's in shape. Um, and then Mendy eases his way into the team. That could be a scenario. I, I just really like what I see from Mendy as a two-way player and his, um, some of his defensive, his work and his attacks. His attacking is pretty good. Not on Marcelo peak level, but, you know, anyways, it's good insurance to have. And I think if Pogba comes even, I think that might be the end of the era of Casemiro as an indispensable starter. Mm-hmm. So I think he would you would go something like Kroos, 
as the deepest player and then Pogba and Modric in front of him and then, you know, rotate whoever in as you like with Isco and <clears throat> and Casemiro and Valverde. And uh, while I don't really like Cruz in that role, I think if you played as kind of a scheme where you held a lot of possession and I think Pogba's, um, Pogba's defending is a bit underrated. He can he can play deeper. I think he has good good habits, which not necessarily weren't manifest game in game out at United. But you know, I think he's he's underrated in that aspect. But I think Modric. The tricky thing in this situation would be Modric has in the past few years been the kind of defending in transition on his own, and he's too old to do that now. And so you, I, I don't think I also don't think Modric is going to be starting every game. There's no way. So I think you'll see him rest quite a bit, and then the front three of Hazard, Vinicius, and and Benzema. I yeah, I think with Pogba, that's, you make a good point there. I think his defending is underrated. And then number two, I don't think in La Liga he'll have to defend anywhere near as much as he's had to do, has, as he's had to do in at Manchester United, where uh, at the Premier League there's quite a few more teams at Manchester United's level, and there's a lot of teams that play that quick break counter-attack in football, where you need a defensive midfielder who can be quick and get there and cut those attacks out. With Real Madrid in La Liga, where they're going to dominate almost every game, you're not going to have to be that kind of player. So Pogba, I think, can can play there. And I, I think another aspect of this question is, what is the starting lineup for La Liga matches and what is the starting lineup for Champions League matches? Mm-hmm. I think knockout Champions League matches, I think you would um, be more likely to see Casemiro, even if Pogba does come and Pogba could play in a different role. But I think you would see Casemiro in that defensive midfield holding role. But I think for many La Liga matches where Real Madrid are going to completely dominate, I don't think it would be a surprise to see Casemiro left out for some of those and Pogba put in that position or, like you say, Cruz moved over to that position. Yeah, that's that, that's a good point. And I imagine someone like Modric is the Champions League guy, like, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, he might not like be... You, like league. you're saying there about being rested and, yeah. and not playing as much, exactly so that you have him fresh for the Champions League games. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not completely sure that Vinicius will be a starter, but mm. I think if... If, ben- he, if, he can't, if he can't start scoring and the other guys can, then... It is going to be tricky for him, as exciting as he was last year. Well, having Hazard in there, who is not a uh, a traditional goal scorer, or, or really a lethal goal scorer for that matter, but can take his chances, helps kind of take the pressure off Vinicius. But you know, it it could realistically also be uh, Jovic instead of Vinicius mm-hmm. there with Benzema um, because of his kind of knack for scoring. So that'll be interesting, I think. Um, and then we get into the deeper discussion of the entire squad and what happens to who and and how much playing time does X player get. Brennan Power says, if you were Flo and Zidane, with all that's already happened in this transfer window, how would you finish constructing this team to get it to 23 or 25 guys? Anybody else coming in? Who's going out? Who's going out on loan? Well, I think we sort of answered the coming in question. I think we agree that it's Pogba and if not Pogba, maybe Another player who could be in his kind of position, uh, another midfielder, but that's probably the only area I can see being strengthened. So really, in the the plus and minuses of this, you're looking at plus one maybe. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the minuses, well, you probably need to lose a good half a dozen players. You've um, you've probably got too many goalkeepers unless Lunin is going to be a third choice. You've certainly got far too many centre backs because you've got five there. Mm. Um, you know, left back is fine, right back is is fine, and then midfield. We kind of talked through that. I don't think there's much room to lose many more midfielders, uh, having already lost a uh, Marcus Llorente. Uh, you know, in terms of defensive midfielders, you've got Casemiro, Cruz could play there. Maybe Pogba if he comes, and then the other ones you've got. You've got, you know, your Cruz and Modric. I mean, you look right now in the tour, the Real Madrid squad's in Canada right now, and there's only two midfielders from the senior squad there. Okay, part of that is because Casemiro and Ceballos and Isco um, aren't there because they're on holiday, or Isco, and congratulations to Isco, by the way, he just became a dad uh, today, so he'll be there soon. But Mm. uh, it is striking when, you know, a couple of uh, injuries or holidays or... Uh, fatherhoods and you're down to two midfielders that shows you you've not got an absolute abundance in that position and really the main cuts have to come in attack don't they there's just too many 
Yeah, the midfield depth chart is dwindling a little bit, and it was much deeper like a few months ago. Um, but then, you know, Kovacic left. Sabayos probably is on his way out. So I, I was looking at the entire... There's a lot of players even. I just... So I remember at... The, if How we, many is there exactly? Is, so I... It's, it's down to like 30... Yeah. One or two it's, now? Uh, it's at 31. Okay. That does not include... Um, the players that have already gone on loan. Lucas Zidane, mm. Sergio Reguilon, Ashraf, Martin Odegaard. And then Sucos. there's the ones that will definitely go on loan, like James and Borja Mayoral, and, yeah, and so, that will take it down a bit. Yeah, so right now it's 31, which in, would include Kubo, mm. um, which is actually already, uh, like they've already cut it down from 38 at the time when Marcos Llorente yeah. was still in the squad. So they've already chipped away at it. Mm-hmm. Um. So if you include Pogba on this, it would be 32. Which I don't know. I I don't see, I'm still not convinced that that's what's going to happen. May or may not. Marcotti, before we started recording, reported that Pogba actually doesn't want to leave that badly, so long as he he understands the vision of the board and kind of is convinced that they're moving in the right direction. I don't even know what that means. That may actually may not mean anything. It may just be something that Raiola told him to to tweet or whatever. But um. <clears throat> Yeah, when okay. it comes to Pogba, don't believe words. Just yeah. ignore sentences. They don't make sense. <laughs> ignore sentences. So let's say 32 with Pogba. Um, these are the three players that I have for sure would go up, which would bring it down to 29. Mm. Lucas Silva, who, believe it or not, is in that list still. Um, mm. James Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Borja Mayra, those three. Yeah. I have four players who I think I put as a probably out. Okay, Mariano right. Diaz, mm-hmm. Lucas Vasquez, mm, Danny yeah, Ceballos, and yeah. Nacho. Yeah, I think it's time for Nacho and, and Lucas Vasquez. It, it's a shame because they've been so useful over over the past few years, but I think this is a good time for Real Madrid and for them, to be honest, um, because if they were to stay the two of them, they would be falling down that depth chart. Nacho was, for a long time, the third-choice centre-back, he'd probably now be the fourth choice if he stays. Um, you know, you had Lucas Vasquez was always probably first off the bench, um, uh, first choice if someone's injured. Now with all the attacking talent with, you know, Asensio and Vinicius and, uh, you know, these guys not even guaranteed to start, then Lucas is going to fall even further down. So I think it could, could be a good time for them to move on. And yeah, I totally agree. I think they'll, they'll be gone. And then you still need to lose probably another two or three players. And that's when... I think it's really difficult. And, you know, one of them is, of course, Mr. Gareth Bale, who's still there. And yeah. I think he'll still be there. I don't think. Yeah. Isn't it amazing going. that we're not talking about him as a, a sure exit yet? Like He's like a should exit, but I don't think he will. I, he's not going to go. He doesn't want to go. Real Madrid can't find any suitors who would, number one, um, take him and then number two be somewhere that he wants to go there was a couple of options in China apparently but Bale doesn't want to go to China and he's within his right to refuse that so I think he's going to be there and that's going to be well that's going to be awkward but I think he's going to count as one of your your players in the squad yeah and then you have uh Brahim Diaz who will likely go out on loan so that Mm -hmm. will bring it down one uh Kubo and Rodrigo I think go down to Castilla, or at least they'll be registered in the squad. But we'll go with Castilla, and they'll have be able, they'll be able to be called up when when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Mariano was someone that I would I would have entertained keeping in the squad, especially after we since we sold Raúl de Tomas. But um, I think the reality with his situation is like while I my reasoning behind it was like he's he's I still think he's good I think he's he's really athletically he's such a freak and he's a good technical player can finish and it would have been nice to if like if you lose Jovic you have that finish in the squad but I think Zidane's solution to a Jovic backup will be a Jovic might himself might be a backup to Benzema or b it can just be Benzema or he can play a false nine like he used Asensio instead of Morata uh, in 16, 17. Or, or that could be where you get an opportunity for Rodrigo, who I think can play mm. that central role. He's done that before, and and yeah, there'll be there'll be options. So then, I guess one of the things that we can keep in mind with this is that 
it doesn't necessarily have to go down to 23, 25 players. Ra- no. Last year, they had registered 30, which I think is what you have to register anyway. Um, mm. From that 30, people are going to miss out on the match day squad. So you register 18 for the match day squad, I think 21 in the Champions League match day squad. Um, <clears throat> and so last year, early on, the players that were missing out on the match day squad altogether were players like uh, Vinicius, Regulon, Llorente. Um, throughout this season, players like, you know, Lucas Zidane, obviously, who was in that 30, Mariano. This season, I think it's a bit more complicated from, cause, because from top to bottom, you and I think all those players are, are freaking good. So a lot of these but players... This is, this is a thing. This is a good problem to have. Last year, mm. there were some easy choices to make when it came to yeah. uh, who do you discard from the match squad, the players you just mentioned. This year, there's not going to be as many easy choices. There might be some of the guys that uh, are going to be at Castilla, like Kubo and, and Rodrigo, who if everyone else is fit and healthy, then yeah, they probably don't make the squad. But yeah, there's going to be some tricky decisions to make. And that's a good thing because you want the... You want it to be difficult to fill your squad out. And last season, at points, it was quite easy to pick your 18 best players because there were 18 good players and some other players who probably weren't at Real Madrid's level. Yeah, that's yeah. I feel that way for sure. I feel that way. I completely agree with you. I think from top to bottom, this this squad is much stronger than last year's squad. Part well, part now. Part to be fair, part of the reason is that because last year some of those players we thought weren't that good ended up becoming really good, and that they're now this mm. year's improved versions. You know, like yeah. and it's and it's not that the uh, players last year weren't weren't good, maybe, but it's maybe that they were just too young yet to to be good. The guys like Regulon or Valverde right. at the start of the season, they were automatically not going to be in the squad. Um, but once they gain some experience, then yeah, they they reach a point where they can be uh, good, considered good enough to to make a squad or or go right. out on a, a better loan. Then. So, um, as you know, you know we cover players on loan every week, and uh, you and I have talked about this for La Liga lowdown too. You know, kind of reviewing mm-hmm. the Real Madrid players on loan as it stands right now. They're all in Spain, apart from Atraf. So. We get mm. to see them like up close, and I know like it's kind of weird to say that, given that like we all watch it on TV anyway, so it doesn't really matter how close geographically they are to us to watch them. But having them in La Liga is just kind of fun, I guess. Um, so we have Lucas Zidane at Racing, obviously not in the first division, but um, in Spain, uh, Sergio Regulon at Sevilla, Oscar at Leganes still, um, Odegaard Sociedad, Jorge de Frutos at Valladolid. And I guess if, depending on where Brahim goes, you know, he may also be somewhere in Spain. So there's a lot for us to keep our eye on and makes our job easier because we watch La Liga anyway, you know, um, to be able to keep our keep tabs on, on all these guys. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, one more question. Frederick Rantakiro says, based on their defensive work rate, it would make more sense for Modric to play on the left to cover for Marcelo and Cruz on the right. Or sorry, to cover for Marcelo and then have Cruz on the right. But I guess there's a reason why no coaches have tried this. Would the overall impact on their performance be negative if they switch sides? Thank you. You sort of touched on this earlier when you were talking about Modric and and he just doesn't have the the physical ability to do that anymore, I don't think. Um, he used to be so good as a guy who could cover for you know anybody, but now he's not really the one that you can plug in. And Cruz is your one that I think you have to put on the side of the fullback who's going to be more attacking. Well, yeah. I mean, I so like I guess also to answer this, like you know, he motor tracks on the right side and left side. You know, if you kind of look at him on the pitch. Oftentimes he's covering multiple flanks uh, in the same game, and but also you know covering for the right is something that he also does, which is just as important. Although Carvajal is much better defensively than than Marcelo is, um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if there's like a. I'd be curious to see like what Zidane's answer to this would be. Um, like, if someone if someone actually would just kind of ask him a tactical thing in a press conference, I'd just be. 
I would I would retire just happily, knowing that something <laughs> cool was asked in a press conference. Other than, hey, is Bale going to get sold? Is Zisco going to get sold? You know, how are you going to fit Neymar? Questions like this would be interesting to ask. I'd be curious to see what he would say to this, because you know, I I don't know if I've seen an actual, uh, you know, an answer to to something like this. Other than you know, this is kind of the way it's been for a long time. Uh, Kroos links up well with. Marcelo, that side is really press resistant, especially when you threw Peak Isco into there and Ronaldo. Like that was a really amazing uh, left side, and they could switch to the right where Carvajal was, and Modric would often go to that side, overlap with Carvajal, putting crosses from the right. Something I never saw him do on the left side. You know, um, probably mm-hmm. easier because he can just kind of overlap Carvajal and, sh- and cross with his right foot. He's had so many great moments from that side, both defensively and offensively, that it just seems to work, and I don't. I don't know if... Also, this question, the answer to this changes if Mendy starts, you know? Who's a bit better mm-hmm. defensively? Mm-hmm. Um, that urgency is, is not as much. So, interesting, though. I mean, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I think it can, can go changing week to week because the whole, like we're saying, the whole makeup of the team could be very different week to week in La Liga matches. Mm. Because you got to give everyone some minutes, and in most matches you can afford to 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 play some of the players who aren't getting as many minutes. And when you do that, it's going to change up the whole, um, maybe not formation, but the whole shift of the team. Whether it's going to be slightly more more attacking to the left or more attacking to the right. For example, if Marcelo plays or if Hazard has a rest, these decisions can just completely swing the the side that Real Madrid is going to lean on. And that obviously then changes who you need to have in in midfield in a defensive sense to to cover for the guys going forward. So I think this is something that will change week to week. And again, it's a kind of question when it comes down to it and you have the gala 11, as they call it, for Champions League games, then who's that going to be? Because these, you know what Zidane was like in that free Champions League run. You could basically just write the team sheet if everybody was fit and healthy. It didn't change very much. And I think he likes to have a fixed best 11. We won't see it very much in La Liga because it will change so often, but in Champions League, we'll have it, and that's when we'll get to see uh, well, which option he really thinks is best for guys like Modric and Cruz. Um, anything to plug before we let you go, Ewan? What are you working on these days? Not too much, just on Marca, Marca English, get there and you'll find out all the latest for Real Madrid because it's been very, very quiet for the whole week. Mm. But that just tells you that it's gonna it's gonna spark up again. It has to. Yeah. And of course, all the all the stuff for the the tour in your in your land, Kian. They've come to visit you. Yeah. In Montreal, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I won't see them until they hit the states, and I'll I'll see them in New York. But mm. um, yeah, in Montreal they're just training. They're not playing any games, and yeah, and uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. Other than that, they're in Montreal. Um, they seem to be enjoying it, according to Instagram. So, um, yeah. and this was this was the place that this was the same training base they selected in 2016 in that summer. Yeah, when they had their best season was the Dan the league and the Champions League, and uh, he's he was really keen to go back there. Wasn't possible the following year, but now he's been able to take them back there because I don't know. He just I think he just quite liked being there with not much uh, media attention, a little bit of space to just focus on things, get to work, and. Uh, I think it'll go well. There's not many media, but there's there's. I read a very interesting thing today. There's more Japanese journalists yeah, in that. Montreal right now covering Real Madrid than Spanish because they absolutely love Kubo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, that was kind of cool to to see and hear. And uh, um, you know, it's it's cool to. I, I guess that that also speaks to the marketing power of of mm. someone like Kubo, which uh, you know I I never really thought about. Because when I when I saw him and I saw his talent level, uh, I kind of really only looked at the how exciting yeah. his talent was and his his kind of his skill on the ball and his understanding of the game. And then when you see stuff like this, you get reminded like, oh, there's actually also more to it, and there's there's this side yeah. of it too, like that media. It was very track. similar with uh, I follow Ibar quite closely. When they signed in UE to catch in UE, it was okay. Who is this guy? How can he play? And then after a year or so, after the first couple of times I was in Ibar and just saw the number of Japanese fans and journalists that were there, you're like, wow, this this changes things for, for a club in a, in a marketing sense as well. And if that can come as a nice bonus, then then it's an interesting thing. And yeah, don't be surprised to see to see an Asian tour in uh, a summer, uh, not in the distant future. 
Well, we'll see how the Japanese ratings get will spike up at once Kubo actually, if if he does end up starting a game for Real Madrid. Mm. Um, if you remember, what was that that game that they had planned around an entire Japanese time zone with Abar versus and who was the other Japanese person? Who was, uh, um, Gaku and Hitafi. Yeah, and yeah, didn't, they, didn't either one. of them started or something? Um, Inui played a little bit, Gaku yeah. didn't play, um, and it was set up for about 12 o'clock this time, prime time in Japan, and I think people did tune in, but none of the guys really got to play, which was which is a bit of a shame, but yeah. um, no, they do they do tune in, and you know, Ibar, uh, when they had Inui, became the, the third most watched team in La Liga after Barcelona and Real Madrid, purely because they had Inui, who, who played regularly, Gaku never really played for... For Adafi, in fact, he's he's about to leave, so um, go to Deportivo, I think, which is a bit strange. But I'll yeah, never it's going to be interesting Betis to see for for signing him and not playing him. Yeah, it, it didn't make sense at Betis. Yeah. But anyway, that's for the managing Betis pro- podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see if uh, maybe Jeremiah will approve uh, uh, managing ma- managing Betis uh, website and podcast. I doubt it, though. Uh, all right, Ewan McTeer, um Possibly will be attending one more presentation, depending on how Real Madrid summer goes. Um, if they if they if they bring someone, I will go. Yeah, uh, so we'll see. We'll uh, we'll keep it uh, we'll keep it locked uh, on managing Madrid, and 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 we'll we'll see how that goes. And obviously, if you want to get live updates of these presentations, also follow Ewan McTier on Twitter at EMCTier. Um, I don't know I'll why I say you, it like I'll that. Bring- but yeah, it's, it's, it's E McTier, yeah. but it's I say yeah. it E M C Tier. I don't know why. It's but you so have weird. to spell it out because no one even knows how to spell McTier. So no, you have to spell it out. So thank you for for doing that. Yeah, go there, E McTier, and you'll I'll give you all the body language updates from all the new signings press conferences, and I'll mm. I'll give you my my mental um, analysis of of how they're going to do in the pitch. Yeah. All right, Ewan. Thanks for joining the show, my friend. And we'll chat soon. No problem. Always a pleasure. <laughs>